Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. We've had a few days to come down after that gut-wrenching loss to Oregon in the Sweet 16. It was a crushing way to end the season, but as time goes by, I think we'll realize what a season it was. On today's show, we'll recap what was an emotional roller coaster ride for Michigan basketball this season. My guest will be beat writer Brendan Quinn from M Live. First, a few news and notes to get us started. It's over for the men, but Coach Barnes Arico and the ladies are still playing. Even though most of us thought this team got the shaft from the NCAA selection committee, to their credit, the ladies have moved on and now find themselves in the semifinals of the women's NIT. They will tip it off against Villanova at home on Wednesday. So good luck to Coach Barnes Arico and her team. The future is bright for these young ladies. Coach Jim Harbaugh and his team open spring practice on Friday. There isn't much to talk about yet, but as the spring progresses, there will be more media availability to the players and hopefully some access to practices. It's always tough to get a good read on what's happening during spring ball, at least early on. We'll do our best, though, in April here on the show to get you as much information as we can. It's an important spring for Michigan football, and there will be a lot of new faces competing for playing time in the fall, so stay tuned. In January, I think it's safe to say many of you were ready to throw the towel in on Michigan basketball and move on to spring football or other sports. Fans were openly questioning whether John Beeline was near the end of his run here. And by late January, even the diehards were ready to give up on this season and, yes, this team. What we learned is that Coach B is an amazing teacher, and given time, he puts the pieces together. If you stayed with this team, you were rewarded with a run for the ages. Successful seasons don't always end with Final Four appearances or even national championships. And like most endeavors and relationships in life, it's about the journey and what a journey it was. Michigan beat writer Brendan Quinn from M Live joins me next with his take on a season to remember here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. on our game day segment this week to take a final look back at an incredible season especially the uh, the journey at the end michigan beat writer brendan quinn from m live great to have you back with us brendan mike always a pleasure sir well as we know now the season ended in heartbreak against oregon in the sweet 16 last week but you know brendan given where the team was in january and february it was quite a ride wasn't it uh yeah i mean it seemed like a one of those, just one of those stories, you know, they, they seem to have some pixie dust on them there for, for a while. Everything that they could kind of go their way was going their way. And, uh, everyone certainly got wrapped up in, uh, in the journey. Uh, it, it didn't seem like, I, I can't tell if those three weeks went by really slowly or really quickly, you know, it was kind of one of, one of those things. And maybe it was a mix of, of, uh, of one wild story after another combined with a lack of sleep, but uh, I know, I know I kind of just like disappeared into a black hole of, you know, where is this group going? And, 
you know, some, there were, there were times there where I said, is this, is this team going to win the whole thing? Am I going to have to go write a book from this, <laughs> from, from this thing? And, uh, you're, I mean, you're right. It, it was a great story. Um, as a, uh, as just someone watching this group now for four years, you know, especially with Walton and Irvin, everything they've been to been through to, to see those guys get that payoff, get that, get that spotlight. Um, yeah, it was great. It was, it was something, uh, you know, I like to use the term uniquely collegiate, and that was a uniquely collegiate moment for those guys. Well, let's start, if we could, Brendan, by talking about the architect of this team and his turnaround, Coach John Beeline. He had his doubters in January and early February. We all heard them. We saw them on social media. But he proved, I think, once again, and hopefully finally, that he is a special kind of a coach, isn't he? I mean, it's if you always go back to... Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how much attention the detractors warrant, you know, because I, you know I don't really know how much that was present in inside the actual walls of that athletic department. But yeah, I mean, I don't know at this point what else the guy has to do um, to kind of get the I don't want to say unquestioned, you know, or anything like that. But the the, the overwhelming support of the of the fan body. I mean, he may have it. He he may not. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, he will always do things his own way. Um, he will always do things the, you know, the way that, uh, will, will rub people the the same way. I mean, there's always going to be people, you know, this, Mike. there's always going to want, there's always going to be people who want McDonald's all Americans every year. And like, that's their measure of, of a successful program. Um, you know, John Beeline's not going to do it that way. He's going to bring in his guys. Um, He's going to bring in guys with wide skill sets who he thinks that he can mold into the pieces that he wants to play. And uh, that's going to be the way it is. And I do think that this year uh, was kind of, you know, even, even with all the success he's had at Michigan, you could argue that this year was his kind of finest hour in terms of proving that, that his way works. And, you know, it is a process and you have to wait it out. Once they got clicking and all the pieces kind of fit, uh, I think he saw what a John Beeline team can do there. Uh, over that final month and a lot of them you know I think those guys were he's not the rowdy type and all that but those guys were playing for him and uh yeah that was it was it was one of the finest coaching performances uh, that I've been around and certainly probably of his 40 years uh, on the bench well I thought last week you wrote an interesting story in M Live. you mentioned uh, that this season validated John Beeline to John Beeline and for some of our listeners mm-hmm. who might not have had a chance to read that very excellent piece you wrote Talk about that for a minute, Brendan. You know, he, he he's a guy who is for, I think there's a bit of a perception out there that like, maybe he's a little hard headed or like, he'll only do things his way or he won't, he won't change his ways. Or I, I, I don't think that that's, that's not true. Um, you know, he's always been a forward thinker in terms of creating his offense, in terms of changing defense when he needs to, like he is, he has a certain level of dexterity when it comes to changing things and, and being willing to, to, um, to adjust to what works at that time. That said, you know, I mean, things went off the, off the rails a little bit there. And for a guy who his whole coaching career built up to that national championship game appearance, and then that elite eight appearance, and he was in that rare air and people were talking about him as, you know, one of the five best coaches in the country. And then the, you know, the bottom kind of fell out there for, for two years. And two and a half years, uh, as you mentioned, you know, into January of this year, this thing was not going the right direction. Um, I, I think that I don't know how much he wavered on 
you know, his process and if he was doing things the right way and, and if um, his, you know, recruiting philosophies or the way he's coaching or the type of guys he's bringing in, I have to think human nature a little bit, right, mm-hmm. has to come into to play there where a guy's going to look at himself and say, is, is, am I right? Is this right? And the last month undoubtedly reaffirmed John's belief in the way that he does things. And, you know, I think even more so you had that that was kind of compounded by the fact of the plane incident and the per, the perspective that's gained from going through something like that. And I mean, he was for anyone that's been around this program, he was undoubtedly a different guy in the three weeks after that. He seen you know, he seemed a lot a lot less wrapped up in the in just the game. Uh, I think he was very much present in the moment, very much a, trying to appreciate kind of what was going on. And um, that's a different, you know, that's a different deal. And I, I think this was a really big three weeks for him. When you watched him since the, uh, the plane incident at Willow run three weeks ago, watching him over this period of the three weeks, to me, this was the first time I thought outwardly, he looked like he was enjoying the process, the ride. Yeah. I mean, you always hear coaches talk about how much they get out of being around college kids, right? Especially older guys um, that, you know, being a college coach keeps you young because you're, you know, you keep getting older, but they are always 18 to 22 years old and young and dumb and, and just looking to have fun and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, it's great when you're an old guy. I know my father was a college coach for almost 50 years and he's the youngest 75 year old you'll ever meet. Um, I think a lot of that is because he was surrounded by college kids his entire life. And, um, and I think this week you kind of saw, you saw a little college in John Beeline, um, you know, running in with the super soaker, um, he was just joking around more. He just seemed, he just kind of seemed less tethered to the job, um, and more kind of just enjoying himself. And, um, yeah, that I, that's real. I, I definitely think that's legitimate. I think you're spot on there. Well, Brendan, as you said, the last few weeks, really the last two months have been somewhat of a blur for those of you, uh, where it's your job to follow this team and for the fans following the ride. But when you look back right now, I know we're only a week removed from the end of the season. But right now, could you put your your finger on a game or a moment that you said to yourself covering this team, hey, they finally put it together? Man, that's tough because I went back and forth so often, frankly. Um, going, uh, going into the Big Ten tournament, I thought they were going to maybe win it even before the plane stuff. Um, the, the last couple weeks, even with the loss at Northwestern, the last couple weeks, I really just liked the way that they were playing. And I thought that they... They had an edge to them. They had an attitude to them. Um, you know, the stuff that happened in that two-week window of the loss to Illinois and the comment about the white-collar stuff, and then two weeks later, the the loss to Ohio State, which was just a horrible loss. Um, you know, that, that was a group that, that took self-examination to a very real level. And, uh, you know, that's a powerful thing to do that and to accept what the results are. And, um, you know, I mean, a lot of it started with Derek Walton Jr. When his game really got going, I think that's when everything else kind of kind of filled in around him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't I can't point to one specific thing. I think it was very much a a building momentum of, oh, we can be good. Oh, we can be good. Oh, we can be good. As opposed to just one game, you know, they have a team meeting, walk out the room and decide they're going to be a different team. I don't really think it works that way. You know, you need you need to kind of deal with those things behind closed doors and then, and then put it together on the floor. And that, that carried out uh, game by game in the final week. And then you just saw it hit 
you know, it, it, it then just hit the ground running when they got into the postseason. Well, you just mentioned Derek Walton Jr. And I know you and I and the fans have talked about him for the last few years, uh, wondering would he ever live up to those lofty expectations that were put on him fairly or unfairly after Trey Burke mm-hmm. left. And it has been a journey. And when you look at his numbers, um, pretty darn good numbers over the four years. But still, there was something that fans just thought was missing in his game. But this last month and a half, two months, he certainly, we can say, saved his best for last, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it was it was something it was something to see for anyone who's I've watched every game of his college career. And I remember after his freshman year, I, I voted him first team all Big Ten going into his sophomore year. So you want to talk about expectations like after his freshman year, I thought he was going to be um, the, the best point guard in the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, that little foot injury, I think, derailed things probably a little bit more than anyone ever realized. And he had some confidence issues that he had to, had to deal with. But the game was there. You know, you, he was a shooting guard trapped in a point guard's body um, that always had great court vision and could do a lot of different things. It was there. It was just a matter of kind of digging it out. But, you know, he did. He did it. And it was a uh, it was quite a story. Uh, it was really an amazing turnaround for a guy who, um, you know, even this year, like a month into the season, I was like, you know, I guess it's just not going to happen for this guy. You know, that's a shame, whatever. And, uh, but he found a way and, uh, and he got it done and he played with a level of carefree, you know, I'm doing this down the stretch that totally changed. You know, he was chirping on the floor. He had this attitude to him. He had this edge. Everyone fed off of it. <laughs> when he made that shot, I guess with two minutes left to put him up three against Oregon on Thursday night. Um, I'm sitting there and I, the, the first sentence of the story that came to me that, cause I'm writing in, in real time, as you know, was this is Derek Walton's tournament and everyone else is just playing in it. <laughs> like that is, that was the way that he was going through those, whatever, you know, two and a half or so games uh, before that, that unfortunate ending for them. Um, but I mean, he just, he just took he just took things over. It was he did whatever he wanted, and uh, you know I think it's a big lesson for some of the younger guys in that team that that they can maybe feed off of. And Zach Irvin too. Any those younger guys who watched what he went through, you know those are those are big life lessons for guys coming up. Well, speaking of Derek Walton, again we've talked about it for years. Uh, him finding his game, putting it together in totality. Does a month and a half or two months uh, change anything as far as draft stock in the NBA for Derek? I mean, I talked to guys a week or two ago, including some scouts who were on hand in Indianapolis to watch him in that Big Ten tournament. Um, Consensus seems to be he's done, obviously, a lot for himself. He's gained a lot of attention that he otherwise did not have. I mean, he was not even in the conversation coming into the year. And there are two ex-Big Ten players who do a lot of good for him right now, and that's... That's Tim Frazier and Yogi Ferrell, high-scoring point guards, undersized point guards who prove that they can play in the league, uh, can have careers, can you know get uh, can get substantial contracts. Uh, you know that's going to be what Walton has to chase. It won't be easy. I don't see him getting drafted. He will have to go through summer league stuff. He'll have to try to scratch and claw for contracts, maybe some ten-day contracts. Um, that's going to be the road for him, I think. And. Uh, you know, he's certainly persistent. I, I'll give him that. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to take a run at it. Him, in, in his mind, he thinks he can be an NBA point guard. I know that for certain. So, you know, if he plays with the same doggedness that he did these last few weeks when he's trying out for NBA teams, then, you know, what's, maybe he'll find a suitor. Well, another player you just mentioned was Zach Irvin. 
he's another guy, Mr. Basketball, coming out of Indiana four years ago and had his ups and downs. Uh, drew the fans' ire this winter. A lot of fans were saying, hey, sit that guy down. But mm-hmm. he played hard every night. He did a lot of the little things, realizing that, you know, the shot just wasn't falling for him for quite a period of time. But, man, did he he just deliver down the stretch, didn't he? Oh, he was a dog. He was an absolute dog in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, it's it's it was really a shame about that, that Oregon game. Uh, that would have been one of his finest hours as a college player. I mean, some of the shots that he was hitting uh, to keep them in that were uh were enormous and uh yeah he, i mean he just yeah the thing i always said about zach was he's the only guy on the team willing to take some of the big shots so when he misses them of course he's going to draw the heaviest criticism and you know that's what you sign up for when you're in that spot but like fans needed to realize why that was the case um how many possessions ended up with the people passing the ball until it ended with Irvin and him saying oh well, i guess i gotta shoot it and having to go shoot it that happened for a lot of the last three years, like when Levert went down and things like that. Uh, well, all that culminated pretty nicely into a guy who was willing to take and make some big shots uh, the last three weeks of the, of the postseason. Um, you know, he always had that in him. And uh, I think there was a really good display of everything that, the, that these four years built up to. You know, his all-around game, he was grabbing rebounds, shooting that mid-range shot, making some step-in shots. Um, and like I said, you know, taking the shots when they mattered the most and making them. So, uh, yeah, it was a heck of a run for, for Urban, who I think will probably always go down as an underappreciated player here. Oh, definitely. I agree with that. With us today on our game day segment, as we uh, put the wraps on, um, an exciting season of Michigan basketball's beat writer, Brendan Quinn from M live Brendan player development, always a strong point for any team coached by John Beeline. As we mentioned, he's not picking up the four and five star guys on a steady basis. This year, we saw the emergence of DJ Wilson and Mo Wagner, and I think most of us would have to say we didn't see that coming. And, and, <laughs> and again, you have to credit Coach B for his steady hand and patience in bringing these two kids along, don't you? Well, it's not only a matter of, of patience, it's a matter of identifying it in the first place. Um, and, you know, finding, you know, he watched five minutes of film on, on Mo Wagner and decided to fly to Berlin to meet him. That's pretty hard to do, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, he's got an eye for it. Uh, he, you know, as everyone knows, he really likes those guys with multi faceted skill sets who can, you know, regardless of your size, he wants to be able to dribble, shoot and pass. So he gets those guys and, you know, you put them in a strength program and you develop them and you, and he rebuilds them from the bottom. Um, you know, they start with the basics at Michigan. It is, it is catching the ball with two hands, how to use your pivot foot, you know, how to operate out of the triple threat. They go right down to the roots of it and build you back up. So, you know, yeah, it does not take uh, a week or a month or a half a season or a season. It takes a year or two or maybe more. And, uh, and then they hope that they find the fruits of that labor. So, you know, those are guys who have put in the time and, uh, and just have so many natural skills. You know, I talk to these NBA guys and they're just, they kind of gush over, um, over DJ Wilson's just natural athleticism and skill set, all these just natural tools that he has that, that John has managed to, uh, refine a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, the next step for some of these guys is changing the mindset of, of how to play. And, you know, oddly enough, in the end, he's going to want them to have a little Zach Irvin and Derek Walton in them now, isn't he? So 
it's funny how things come full circle. It certainly is. And when you're hot, you're hot. And in the last month, it's uh, just amazing to me to listen to all of the NBA talk. I mean, in January, both of these kids were <laughs> so inconsistent. And here we are in March, almost April now, and we're hearing NBA draft mentioned when DJ and Mo are discussed. What have you heard from the NBA scouts uh, regarding that kind of a talk? Well, um, there. I'd say people are a little bit higher on Wilson than Wagner. They, bo- I mean, they both clearly have the option to to enter right now and go see what their value is. Uh, go perhaps go through the combine if they can get invited, but go do those individual team workouts. And and really, I, I don't see any harm in doing that. Um, you know, you get to go out and kind of find out where you stand among the best. And you know, sometimes it's pretty good for some of these guys to go hear from an NBA guy and say. You know, this, this, and this aren't good enough. You need to do better if you want to get drafted. And suddenly a guy who gets three rebounds a game is more willing to go out and get seven rebounds a game. Um, you know, I, I don't really see the harm in, in entering if either of them choose to. Um, but I think developmentally both probably need another year of college ball. I would never say that, you know, what they should or shouldn't do. But, you know, just for skill-wise, I think they could use another year at Michigan. I think they could use another year playing as opposed to being the 13th man on a bench or being in the D league. So, um, you know, they have, they have, they have decisions to make. Um, most projections have them going in the 2018 draft, which would still involve them leaving early, obviously. But, um, yeah, I mean, they definitely have choices to make right now. Well, like life, uh, a basketball season, which we've just witnessed, is a journey. It's uh, filled with the ups and downs we saw, the surprises, the disappointments. Uh, growth and development along with that. And I think right now uh, it might be too soon to fully appreciate the journey that we've witnessed uh, with this year's group. But for me anyway, when I you know take a few minutes to look at that, despite the Oregon loss, it was a special kind of a season. And do you think most fans will eventually see it that way, Brendan? I would like to say yes, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think most, I think a lot of, uh, at least the most vocal fans are probably already on to you know, are they going to get Muhammad Bamba or not? And what does next year's team look like? And, you know, how are they going to keep it going? And, you know, will there be another fallback? And, you know, success is a fickle thing at this level. It absolutely is. And, you know, we, we know this. Every season writes its own story. If you want an example, just see this season. So looking ahead to Michigan basketball, should we expect big things for next season? You know, I like their makeup. Assuming Wilson and Wagner come back, which is, uh, I think, that's a healthy assumption. Assuming they're back... I think they believe, I think they have a lot of interesting pieces. We'll put it that way. I'm not sure uh, what it will look like, but you know, with Charles Matthews becoming eligible, you know, I think it's fair from what I'm being told from people inside the program that you know, 12, 15 points a game out of him is probably reasonable. At the same time, he averaged 1.7 points per game in his first year at Kentucky. Um, so just assuming that he can score 15 a game is uh, maybe a little presumptuous, but. Um, you know, he's, he's a talent. He's going to walk in and automatically be the most athletic player on the team and the best defender on the team. Um, you know, how much is it, the biggest question I think is that point guard, uh, mm-hmm. how much is Xavier Simpson ready to, to grow up and, and take on that role? Um, and if not him, how ready is Eli Brooks, uh, to step in as a freshman point guard and contribute Muhammad Ali Abdur Rahman. I think he needs a big off season and I think he needs, they need to address, uh, his mindset of being the man and what that's going to mean and what that needs to look like. Uh, Duncan Robinson, I think will probably still be the sixth man. Uh, I think I imagine he'll be behind 
uh, Charles Matthews in that three spot. So they have a lot of pieces, but they are wildly inexperienced. Eight players on the roster will have played um, one or, or fewer years of college basketball. Um, that's a lot. So, you know, if they don't get Muhammad Bamba, um, which is probably, uh, let's say they have a 25% chance of that, I think they should maybe use uh, that open scholarship and find a, a graduate transfer, someone who could step in immediately and contribute. Um, I would look at a point guard or a wing shooter, and uh, and then we'll see. But they have a lot of pieces. They have a lot of talent. They know they have guys who know the who know the system at some key positions, and uh, yeah, I think it'll be pretty interesting. But they are going to have to grow up pretty quickly at many spots. As far as recruiting goes, do you think a run like what we've just witnessed, with all of the publicity that came along with it for the last two months, is something that will help recruiting moving forward? Uh, in theory, it should, but uh, I think it's been proven that that's not a guarantee. Uh, you look back and the recruiting class of Aubrey Dawkins and Cameron Chapman and Ricky Doyle, uh, none of those who are still in the program, that came immediately after Michigan's Final Four and Elite Eight. So uh, recruiting is hard. There are misses. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the big lesson that needs to learn. be learned from this is how to capitalize a better than the last time, frankly. And that's going to be something for John Beeline to address this offseason. Well, final thought, Brendan. Uh, what do you think of the final four matchups? And uh, do you have a gut feeling uh, of who's going to be the next national champion? Well, as the product of a small Jesuit basketball crazy college, <laughs> uh, myself, I went to St. Joseph's in Philadelphia. I have to ride with Gonzaga, uh, my brethren in Spokane, Washington, a small uh, Jesuit school that loves its hoops more than anything, and uh, that'll be my pick. I'm, since since all the teams I cover are out of it, I can actually go with my heart here. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I'll take the small school out west. That I think uh, it's certainly as a program it deserves it as much as any, and I think it would be good for the game for a second non-football school to win the basketball national championship. Yeah, I'd like to see that too. Uh, but looking at the team that bumped us out of at Oregon, they're they're probably playing better D than anyone right now, those four left. Oh, they're trouble. Like, I wouldn't want to see them. I wouldn't want to see them at all. What they did to Kansas was pretty startling. Yeah. Um, they're really good, and they are a bunch of bad dudes. Uh, you know, they will score on you and tell you about it. And uh, <laughs> they, got an, they got an angle and an edge to them. Um, at the same time, I think they could come unraveled in one of these games. Well, it's going to be a fun final four. Um, it's been a great tournament. I, I suppose not a lot of major upsets along the way, but a lot of really, really tightly contested and entertaining games. Yeah, some some good good hoops all the way around. Um, I don't think it'll be the most memorable. No. Tor- if the most memorable thing of a tournament is South Carolina going to the final four, then that's not a memorable tournament. <laughs> so. Um, We'll see what plays out. Maybe next weekend can can redeem some things. But I think I think it's been a decent tournament. But you know, it kind of got off to a slow start with you know not a lot of upsets in the first weekend. Michigan really was there for a while, the best story of the tournament. I don't know how much people realize it locally because you know you're kind of in a bubble. But nationally, Michigan was considered one of the best stories of the tournament until they got knocked out. Well, again, despite the heartbreaking way the season ended, it was quite a ride. And I'd like to thank my guest today, Brendan Quinn from MLive, for taking time from his busy schedule, uh, not only this morning, but during the season, to chat with us. Always a pleasure, Brendan, and we look forward to our next visit. Thanks, Mike. I look forward to it as well. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze in Brew.
On Quick Hits today, women's basketball got 29 points from junior Caitlin Flaherty and 27 from sophomore Hallie Thome to roll past Virginia Tech 80-62 in the quarterfinals of the WNIT on Saturday afternoon at Chrysler Center. Flaherty recorded the 21st game of her career with at least five triples, hitting 7 for 12 from beyond the arc. Thome was 11 for 16 from the floor while grabbing five boards in just 21 minutes of action. Senior Sierra Thompson became the program leader in career assists with 540, also picking up eight points with those eight boards, five assists, and two steals. Junior Jillian Dunstan chipped in eight points and eight rebounds as U of M shot 51.6%, 33 for 64 from the floor, and out-rebounded Virginia Tech 41-34. Michigan will play host to Villanova in the next round of the WNIT, the semifinals, on Wednesday with a tip-off scheduled for 7 p.m. Senior Megan Betza tossed her second no-hitter in nine days as the number 19-ranked University of Michigan softball team exploded on offense to defeat Penn State 17-0 in five innings and complete the weekend series sweep on Sunday afternoon in front of 1,482 fans at the Wilpon Complex, home of Alumni Field. Betza, who is 10-5, faced just over the minimum and was a walk, a hit-by-pitch, and a drop third strike shy of a perfect game, settling instead for her fifth career no-hitter and second in five appearances behind nine strikeouts. It was also her fourth straight complete game shutout, adding a three-inning midweek relief appearance. Betza has not allowed a run in 27 consecutive innings. The Wolverines, who are 22-7-1, 3-0 in the Big Ten, will head to Mount Pleasant today to face in-state rivals Central Michigan, then return home for a three-game weekend series with Northwestern. The number 18-ranked University of Michigan baseball team used four scoring innings to defeat Maryland by a 6-2 score on Sunday in the Big Ten Conference Series finale inside Turtle Smith Stadium. The victory was Michigan's first of the Big Ten season after dropping the first two of the weekend series. Michigan has a busy week with Toledo and Central Michigan visiting midweek, and then it's back to Big Ten play this weekend as Penn State comes to town for a three-game weekend series. Like us on Facebook, at The Michigan Man, and follow us on Twitter, also at The Michigan Man. Our free show apps are available from the Google Play and iTunes stores. And if you're an iHeartRadio fan, just do a search for The Michigan Man and save us to your favorites. That will do it for another week. In April, we'll start to spend more time on what's happening with spring practice and have another recruiting update with Steve Lorenz. So it's going to be a busy month. Make sure you join us each week for what we think is the best podcast coverage of your Michigan Wolverines. Until then, I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Take care, and as always, Go Blue! Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!